Welcome to the Arena Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Before I start, thank you, Lord, that you so want to speak to us, Father. So I pray, God, that you would open our hearts um, to hear your voice, that you'd open our spirits to receive whatever it is you want to say to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, well, we're continuing the series, All Joy. Um, Today I'm speaking about joy. Um, in Christ-centeredness. And I want to start by reading Philippians 3, verse 1 to 3 in the, in the Passion Translation. It says, My beloved ones, don't ever limit your joy or fail to rejoice in the wonderful experience of knowing our Lord Jesus. I don't mind repeating what I've already written you because it protects you. Beware of those religious hypocrites who teach you that you should be circumcised to please God. For we have already experienced heart circumcision and we worship God in the power and freedom of the Holy Spirit. Not in laws and religious duties. We are those who boast in what Jesus Christ has done and not in what we can accomplish in our own strength. So that's a good thing, isn't it? (laughs) We don't have to do anything in our own strength. And in this passage, Paul encourages us to do two things. Well, two things that I want to just bring out not limit our joy or fail to rejoice in knowing Christ and to boast about what Christ has done for us, in us and for us. It's all about Jesus, isn't it? Without him, we have nothing. Uh, So it makes sense to make Christ the centre of our lives. So two questions that I want us to reflect on as we look at this today is how much have we made Christ the centre of our lives? And how much of his joy do we hold in our hearts? So just think on that as we look through. Um, There are three aspects of joy in Christ-centeredness that I want us to look at today. And they are joy in our revelation of Christ, joy in our righteousness in Christ, and joy in the return of Christ. So let's look at number one, which is joy in our revelation of Christ. In Philippians 3, 8 and 9, in the New Living Translation, Paul says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ, Jesus as my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. So nothing in this world compares to the priceless value of knowing Christ. So before we met Christ, I know for me, our motivations can be centred around other things, can't they? Things that we look to to bring joy and happiness into our lives, such as our jobs, vocations, even relationships, money and possessions. Um, All of which is important, you know, they're not, not bad in themselves, but sometimes in our quest to find happiness, we can make other things Um more than what they should be in our lives and we were never made to do that we were always made to put Christ first and to focus on worshipping our God who made everything and then allow him to become centre of everything else in our lives and in Psalms 37 verse 4 in the Passion Translation um, says make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life and he will provide for you what you desire the most and he, that was a verse for me when I first became a Christian. I, uh, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And 
it's not always the desires you think they are. <laughs> you know, I thought, oh, I desire that and I desire that. But God, the more you seek God and the more you look to him, his desires become your desires. And that's what that means. So what does a Christ-centered life look like? A Christ-centered life is one that focuses on knowing Christ. So when we meet Christ at the beginning in repentance for the first time, we're filled with his joy. I know I was. Uh, the joy of our salvation. Our sins are forgiven and we are born into a wonderful life. The whole new world just opens up to us and we have a whole new perspective. Um, can you remember what that felt like when you first met Jesus? Can you remember how nothing else mattered or compared to what you'd just found. I remember asking Jesus when that happened to me a long time ago, it seems a long time now, um, where have you been all my life? And why didn't I meet you earlier? Because I'd realised that I'd never felt that joy before. And I think that's the same for us all. God wants his children to experience that joy of salvation every single day from then on, for always because it's that what gives us strength in whatever life brings. So that's why it says, that's why David says in Psalm 51 verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation because we need it over and over. So let that be our prayer today. Rejoice, restore to me the joy of your salvation. So to know him is great joy um, and to grow in knowing him by spending time, taking time to listen to him, to speak to him, that's what brings everlasting joy. And God gave everything for us, didn't he, for, to have a relationship with us. But I wonder, and I ask myself, how much time do we give to get to know him more? It's a challenge, isn't it? We need to make a conscious decision to want to know him and to hold on to the joy that he gives us because uh, there's many things in life that will try and take it away when we're faced with difficulties, disappointments, or just uncertainties. We have to make a choice. And by inviting Christ to be the centre of everything, it helps us focus on that joy. It helps us to not focus on the circumstance. So as we trust him, it helps us to choose joy through everything. He's waiting to provide everything that we need. The thing is, so often we don't, we want to sort it out ourselves, don't we? We try everything, I know I do, and have done. And, and then we'll ask Jesus for help, maybe as a last resort, when we've tried everything else. Or, my, or maybe we ask him and we don't quite like the answer or the solution that he gives. But let's determine as we go forward to seek him first, because he has all that we need. And all real joy is found in him, nothing else. Um, Paul says in, uh, he says it like this in Philippians 3, 7 to 8 in the Passion Translation. Yet all of the accomplishments that I once took for, uh, for credit for, I have now forsaken them. And I regard all as nothing compared to the delight of expressing Jesus Christ as my Lord. To truly know him, uh, meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing all my boasting on the garbage heap. He likes garbage, Paul, doesn't he? <laughs> it's all like a pile of manure to me. 
bit smelly. So that's, I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace him as Lord in all his greatness. So a Christ-centered life is one that is committed to Jesus as Lord. Now we can accept Jesus. Sometimes I think that's the easy part. We can accept him as saviour because that's everything he's done for us. But then we have to make him Lord of our lives. And when we confess Jesus as Lord, we live to please him. And we receive joy in choosing to obey him out out of love. As we follow Christ and centre our lives around him, we become more like him. We take on his attitudes and his attributes. We want to act more like him. We want to act on what the Father says, just like Jesus did. Our decisions are now based on what pleases our Lord. And we steer away from what we know displeases him. So in saying Jesus is Lord of my life, we're choosing to be owned by him. We're choosing to submit to his authority. So we're giving him the right to tell us what to do. And we all know we don't always like being told what to do, do we? <laughs> by anyone. But it says in John 15, uh, 10 to 11, in the New Living Translation, when you obey my commands, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, joy will overflow. So when we obey Jesus, we're filled with overflowing joy. The trouble is we don't always want to obey, do we? We often want to decide for ourselves or go our own way or choose to submit when in our own time. But if we want to possess this lasting joy, obedience to his word is the key. And in Luke 6:46 in the Passion Translation, it says, what good, what good does it do for you to say, I am your Lord and Master, if what I teach is not what you put into practice? If you're a parent or thinking of it, you will know full well the pain involved when a child wants to go their own way, or you've been one of those children. Uh, but um, we call it stubbornness, don't we? And if we were honest, we probably would say that we're all stubborn at times. Uh, But we can rejoice and be thankful because our Father's love is very patient and it's long-suffering towards us and he never gives up on us. So let's not be tempted to just call him Lord. We need to make him Lord. Then we will be filled with everlasting joy. Just going to take a drink. So that brings me to my second point, which is joy in our righteousness in Christ. I found a quote, and it's by somebody called Philip Wyjaya. I've never heard of him, but he's a doctor of philosophy in science and biology, and I thought it was a very good quote about righteousness. He says, righteousness is an attribute that belongs to God, the lawgiver, and is manifested in his laws. No man can be justified by his own works apart from God, God's ordinance. Therefore, righteousness is a wonderful gift from God to humanity through his love. It is a God-given quality imputed to man upon believing in the Son of God. 
So righteousness is our right standing with God, before God. Something we can't attain by ourselves. It doesn't matter what we do. We can never cleanse ourselves from sin. It's only when we trust Jesus that we become righteous and God sees us as righteous. It's a free gift and it gives us and should give us everlasting joy knowing that forever we will have right standing with God. So it's our union with Christ and keeping him at the centre of our lives is key to our righteousness. It says in Proverbs 10, 28, in the English Standard Version, it tells us that hope of the righteous brings joy. And in Philippians 3, Paul talks about how he, as an Hebrew um, and strict keeper of the Jewish law, once considered himself righteous because he obeyed the law without fault. But having encountered Jesus, he since realised, he had since realised that his efforts were worthless. And I just want to share a quick testimony of when I first uh, found Christ. I remember that I was introduced to him. I'd never heard of Jesus before or anything to do with the Bible. But I realised as I listened that there was something missing in my life and I wanted to know more. So I started a journey. I bought a little Gideon's New Testament at a tabletop sale and I read it continually, underlining, underlining passages as you do and going, back to find, going to the back to find scriptures to answer my questions. It, this was a two-year journey. It took a long time. But as I read, I realised that my life and my actions didn't quite match up to what the Bible said was pleasing to God. And I wanted to please God desperately. Um, I wasn't part of a church, so it was just me and my Gideon's Bible. <laughs> um, but I was trying to change things. As I read and thought, that's not right, I tried to change it. And I did. I changed lots of things. And through discipline, because I can be quite disciplined, uh, I managed to change lots of habits um, and make myself what looked like I was living a better life. Uh, but there was no joy in it. No joy. It was exhausting and painful time because I never quite made the mark. And it wasn't until I acknowledged that I couldn't achieve this, just like Paul did, without Jesus, that I received the real joy of knowing, knowing him and being in right standing before God. Finally, I felt that my life was pleasing to God. And this self-righteous attitude, um, it's not unique to that salvation experience. It can also creep into our lives as we walk with Christ. We can begin to take the gift of righteousness maybe for granted and think that we don't need him as much now because we've managed to modify our behaviour. Um, but it's not true. We need him. In, the, in Philippians 3.9, in the Passion Translation, Paul says, my passion is to be consumed with him and not cling to my own righteousness based on keeping the written law. My righteousness will be his based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the very righteousness that comes from God. So no matter what we do, we can never be righteous. We cannot make ourselves right before God. We, we must decide to remain hidden in Christ, to have faith in what he's done for us. And that way we will be righteous until he comes. So let's determine to stay hidden in Christ by always acknowledging our need for him. Because as a Christ-centered life, 
that rests in the finished work of Christ, Jesus, knows the joy and acceptance in living the righteousness of Christ. So that leads me to my third point, which is joy in the return of Christ. I'm doing okay for time. In Philippians 3, I mean, uh, I'll read this passage and then it says in Philippians 3, 17 to 21, in the New Living Translation, it says, For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many of those who show, whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They have headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite, and they brag about shameful things. And they think only about this life on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our saviour. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power which with which he will bring everything under his control. So I've, I've, when we think of Christ's return, I've had conversations with people who, are, who don't want to think about it or don't want to talk about it or are scared or frightened and full of fear. But with Christ at the centre of our lives, we have nothing to fear. Yes, he's coming to be the judge. But when Christ is at the centre of your life, we have nothing to fear on his return. He's coming to take us home. There is a joy in knowing that we are citizens of heaven. We, we live on this earth, but we are citizens of heaven because of what? Because of our faith in Jesus. We have an uh, eternal heavenly home. And at an appointed time, our King Jesus will take us home where our joy will be made complete. No longer will we have to choose joy or hold on to joy because we will live in the fullness of joy everlasting. A joy is um, it's a natural part of anticipating Christ's return, knowing him and what he has done for us that we will be with him for eternity. That just brings great joy. Um, in Isaiah 35.10, in the New Living Translation, it says, those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear and they will be filled with joy and gladness. And in this chapter, Isaiah is speaking a message of hope to God's people who have been enslaved in a Babylonian captivity for 70 years. It's a message about God's rescue mission to bring them home from their exile. God made a pathway through the desert. He overcame insurmountable obstacles and he gave strength to his people so they would not give up. Uh, but they would keep their eyes fixed on his promise. But there's a message in this passage for us, for all God's people, and that is that Jesus is our rescuer. And when he conquered death and the grave and rose again, he now sits at the right hand of God and he made a way for us too. In John 14.3, Jesus said, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If there were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will, all, you will always be with me where I am and you will know the way to where I am going. He said that to his disciples and he says that to us today. Jesus is our saviour. 
And when we know that Jesus paid the price with his death on the cross for us and for our sins, so that we can have everlasting joy of knowing that we can freely walk on this highway to heaven, where we can be with him forever, a place of everlasting joy, our future hope. And in Revelation 21 verse 4, in the New Living Translation, he says, He will wipe away every tear from your eyes, from their eyes, and there will be no more death, nor sorrow, or crying, or pain. All things are gone forever. So we will live in everlasting joy. And it's the hope, that's the hope of our future. We are free to travel on this highway to heaven. We have the assurance of knowing that when he comes to take us home, we will be crowned with everlasting joy because that's what Isaiah tells us. But to do that, we need to fix, while we're here, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. It says in Hebrews 12, 2, we look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, because his heart was focused on joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. So fixing our eyes on Jesus enables us to walk with a faithful endurance while we're here on earth. So we serve him until he returns. And who knows what we have to endure? Jesus endured it all and he will be with us through it all if we make him the centre of everything we face. In Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, you will show me the path of life. Your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So as we focus on Jesus and fix our eyes on Jesus, making the centre of our hearts, uh, we have that hope of our future hope, and that is our everlasting joy, being crowned with everlasting joy when he returns. So just to conclude um, the message things that will help us to live Christ-centered life. Let's remember the joy of our salvation and let's hold on to it in every circumstance that we face. Let's get to know Christ more intimately and remain hidden in him, knowing that he is our righteousness. Let's keep living righteous lives, not in our own strength, but in our trust and surrender, surrendering to Jesus. And let's keep serving God with gladness and living to please him, not ourselves or anyone else. And let's keep rejoicing and boast of all he has done and sing his praises until he returns. Okay, and that's my message finished. So I don't know how you feel today. It might be that you want to um, respond to that. You might want to um, ask God to restore your salvation, the joy of your salvation, because we can forget it so easily. You might want to ask him to help you trust him more and more and more as you face each day. And you might want to submit your life again afresh to his lordship, saying, not my will, but yours be done. Not my uh, choices, but your choices be done. So as we pray, just make your response to God. Let's pray.